everybody welcome back to exploring the lord of the rings this is session number 196 as we return to the conversation on or near the windowsill depending on one's bodily posture and relative position uh so good evening everybody uh welcome back <clears throat> i wanted to uh just start today by uh saying a, a particular welcome uh, uh uh to stephen colbert stephen i know that you are uh, have been listening i just uh today heard your interview uh with uh, dominic monahan and billy boyd uh talking about your enjoying of the class delighted to hear you uh your enjoyment of our discussions and uh, to hear you talk like the rest of our community, you know, about uh, how long we've were being in the Council of Elrond and everything. That was really fun. So um, I wanted to issue an invitation. You should come join us. Uh, I'd love to have you on for a discussion. You could name the passage that you like, though, of course, Obviously, if you name a passage in The Return of the King, then we're, you know, we're taking a gamble with mortality. But uh, if uh, there were a passage in the um, uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring that you wanted to talk about, um, that would be uh, probably slightly more proximate uh, and we could make that happen. Anyway, reach out. We'd love to talk to you. Okay, um, so uh, the other thing I wanted to announce uh, to folks, uh, of course, I wanted to remind everybody about our moots coming up. Uh, love, I love to see uh, moot registrations coming in again. So exciting. We're doing New England moot in Durham, New Hampshire on uh, September 25th and middle moot uh, in... Um, uh, in Waterloo, Iowa, on the 9th of October. And we are close to confirming Baymood. I think we're going to go out to uh, Berkeley again, which is where we were before. So, And we're looking at probably first or second weekend of November. Still not 100% confirmed there, but we're moving in on that. So those of you up in the Bay Area can be thinking about early November uh, for a moot back out there in uh, California again. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, Anyways, I, I hope to have uh, to be able to announce that one relatively soon. Um, uh, so that's all very exciting. I also wanted to say, um, you know, I don't um, I don't often do this, but I wanted to just kind of uh, bring everybody's attention to our master's degree program in language and literature. I mean, I know most of you know that it exists, um, but of course, we have our fall semester. Uh, coming up fairly soon. And this is a time, you know, the time of year when we get the majority of our new applications. And a lot of people as they're coming into the fall and people start thinking about school and going back to school and everything. Um, so I just wanted to invite you to think about it. If you've ever thought about uh, going back, our master's degree program is a is a really accessible program. It's, of course, completely online. Uh, and uh, you can uh, you can study with, you know, many of the uh, of the people who attend here are uh, uh, either uh, current or former students um, uh, involved in the program. Um, it's a really great opportunity to get back into school and to really dig deeply uh, into this material that you really love. Um, you have, um, you know, it's as I say, it's a master's degree in language and literature. Our concentrations are in Tolkien studies, imaginative literature, medieval renaissance, uh, and classical uh, literature and Germanic philology, of course. 
Uh, so you'll do language stuff, you'll do literature stuff, uh, inspired, of course, by Tolkien's valedictory address is our combination of language and literature. Um, so anyway, just wanted to uh, invite folks. There's a simple application process and there's still time, even though our courses start in a few weeks. Uh, there's still time if you wanted to apply. You could still get in for this fall even if you wanted to. So just thought I would extend the invitation and draw your attention to that. You can find out more at signumuniversity.org. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention um, is... Uh, just my upcoming schedule. Um, I mentioned it last time, but I didn't mention it until the end, and I want to make sure to mention it at the beginning this time. I'm going to be traveling uh, for the next two weeks. Um, so tonight's going to be our last session until the, what is that? This is the 30th, I think, of, um, yeah, no, 31st. I guess, of August. Yeah, 31st. Sorry, 30th of the Monday. Um, yeah, so August 31st, uh, I'll be back. Um, uh, until then, I'm going to be uh, driving. <laughs> I'm road tripping out to North Dakota to deliver my son to college. So um, we're going to... Um, uh, uh, we're going to... Um, yeah, I'm going to be on the road. Won't be able to uh, uh, join you guys live here for the next couple of weeks, um, but I should be able to be around. Uh, OK, wait, no, that's not even true. So I'll be back for one week on the 31st and the weekend. Oh, no, no, I'll be I'll, I'll be back the week after that. Come to think of it. Never mind. I'll be back the week after that. So. Um, so, yeah, I'll miss these next two weeks and then. We will be we will be back. Uh, it's not traveling for two entire weeks, Kurtzimus. It's only nine days, uh, three days out, three days there, and then three days back. Um, but uh, it's the nine days is going to cover two Tuesdays is all. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Bruinier, he's going to be studying commercial aviation out at the University of North Dakota at their wonderful aviation program. So that is what is going on. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, that's uh, he's uh, he's excited. He's uh, signed up to take his exam for his uh, private pilot's license this week. So we're hoping the weather holds out for that and everything. It's a big excitement around the house. Anyway, um, it's uh, it's a fun time. But anyway, as I say, I'll be away for the next two weeks. So sorry for that. I'll miss you guys. Uh, but we'll be back at the end of August. All right. With all that said, let us jump back into the text because we got exactly through half a slide last time, mostly because uh, we got through two the night the time before, so we had we had we had to even that out. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so I'll reread it uh, and then we'll kind of review a little bit what we said and where we're going. So. Um, this is right after, of course, Bilbo had said, but that I'm afraid will be just your luck about uh, going out into the wild in wintertime. I'm afraid it will, said Gandalf. We can't start until we have found out about the riders. I thought they were all destroyed in the flood, said Mary. You cannot destroy ringwraiths like that, said Gandalf. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous. But we must find out for certain. In the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles, Frodo. I do not know if you can do if I can do anything to help you, but I will whisper this in your ears. Someone said that intelligence will be needed in the party. He was right. I think I shall come with you. So great was Frodo's delight at this announcement that Gandalf left the window sill where he had been sitting and took off his hat and bowed. I only said, I think I shall come. Do not count on anything yet. In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider. Which reminds me, I want to see Elrond. I must be off. Okay. Um, 
Okay. All right. So we uh, talked about the two most obvious and important issues uh, in this, uh, you know, that really jump out at you, right? At first on this slide. First is the question of destroying ring rates. And we had a really good, I was really pleased. I felt like as once again, you guys helped me. There's so many things that I have, that I understand now after talking through with you guys that I didn't understand before. Um, and in particular, I'd never really understood um, what he meant by not only unhorsed, but unmasked. Exactly. And I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed that. And then, of course, the other super important and obvious question uh, was about uh, Gandalf and his bodily posture on the windowsill. How much exactly of Gandalf's butt was on the windowsill and where were his legs at the time? Uh, so having, having settled the, both of those crucial issues uh, to my complete satisfaction, uh, then I think um, we're ready to move on to the next thing, which is Gandalf's volunteering. So um, in the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles, Frodo. Hey, Try and, huh? Um, <laughs> pencil that into the chart. Um, okay. In the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles, Frodo. I do not know if I can do anything to help you, but I will whisper this in your ears. So, first question. Um, I do not know if I can do anything to help you. What is Gandalf referring to there? Is he referring to help you in your quest? <clears throat> Or is he referring to help you to try and forget your troubles? Do you see what I mean? I'm not sure exactly what he's what he Gandalf is expressing his uncertainty concerning his ability to do. You see what I mean? Um, uh, troubles. You're thinking, uh, 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 Lupita? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree because I think. It seems to me unlikely that he's referring to helping him in his quest because that's what he's going to go on to talk about, right? Um, when he says, but I will whisper this in your ears. Um, he's talking about how he's planning to uh, do anything to help him in his quest, right? By coming along with him uh, and guiding him. So I think it probably is about forgetting his troubles. I do not know if I can do anything to help you. Um, and in that case, if he's referring to helping him to forget his troubles, then that statement becomes, what, an affirmation of Frodo's feelings, do you think? Does that seem to be the primary force of it? Like basically Gandalf saying, I understand that you are troubled, you have cause to be troubled, and there is nothing I can say or do that... Um, uh, that is going to stop you being troubled about this extremely troubling situation about this probable suicide mission uh, that you have uh, that you have signed up for. Um, yeah, I, so I, it seems to me like that kind of an acknowledgement. Um, though, doesn't that make the previous? If that's all he means, then isn't the previous sentence a little odd? In the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles. You should you should try and forget your troubles. I don't think I can help you to do that. Is he saying, I can't help you do that, so you have to take responsibility for that? That is the forgetting of your troubles. Like, your job, Frodo, is to try to move past this, right? Don't let it get you down. I can't 
do it for you. I can't stop that, right? It's up to, I mean, is he emphasizing his choice? Yeah, mu music out exactly. Try, even though I can't help you do it, right? He is saying, try and forget it. So it's not like he's merely saying, yeah, I mean, this is a um, crappy situation, right? Nothing can, nothing can be done, right? Let's not, uh, uh, let's not uh, uh, you know, sugarcoat this, right? Um, I don't think, um, uh, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's exactly what he's, uh, uh, what he's saying. Yeah, he can't, um, he can't change his mood for him. Gilgonther, I like that. You, you get over this, but here's a piece of news to help you do it. Okay. Right. Um, um, it is, <laughs> it belongs, it says it is outside of Gandalf's meddling powers. Yeah. He's capable of meddling with a lot, but not necessarily that. Um, yeah, yeah. And Nancy, you were right. I mean, I was thinking the same. He does need to build up his resistance to bad feelings. I mean, it's um, the importance of Frodo's, how Frodo handles this moment, right? How he handles the emotional response to this moment. And most importantly, how he manages his hope and despair, right? Those are important. Those are survival skills where Frodo is headed. Right. And I don't just mean Mordor. Right. I mean, his battle with the ring is going to be largely intangible. It's going to consist of that. We've seen that. Right. We've already seen the way that the ring is going to play on his own uh, feelings, in particular, senses of despair. Right. Remember when he was feeling a little bit despairing. Okay, maybe a lot despairing. In the Barrow, right? When they had been captured, and actually captured and ensorcelled by a Barrow White who had like a naked sword over the throats of his friends with a like disembodied hand reaching out to wield it. Like that was a bad moment, right? I mean, one could understand feeling despair in that moment. And what happened, right? What happened in that moment? The ring takes advantage of it. Right. The ring tries to feed off that and says, well, since everything is awful anyway. Right. You could at least escape yourself. Right. Um, there's all kinds of. Uh, uh, we see all kinds of ways in which um, the uh, the ring seizes upon those particular emotional moments to uh, manipulate him. Right. To try to encourage him to uh, uh, to rationalize things. Um yeah. Interesting. Admiral Malcontent is thinking of the same scene saying, uh, Gandalf saying this has similar vibes to Bombadil telling the hobbits to run naked on the grass. Like this action will be emotionally healing for you. So try to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no nudity involved here, but, but, but I, 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 I see what you mean, right? That kind of emotional healing. I mean, it's, it's important. Um, Frodo managing, his reaction to his feelings his, it's there's no criticism i don't there's no i don't think there's any implied criticism on anyone's part towards frodo for feeling a little glum here right um for feeling nervous for feeling uh fearful right for feeling um you know uncertain about any of this stuff um and yet um he um you should try and forget your troubles. You should try and forget your troubles. Did we conclude, by the way, 
the the difference in the force between try and and try to not trying to recycle that whole conversation just trying to remember our conclusion because <laughs> i don't clearly um uh yeah he's focus on the positive we didn't decide okay good lady wakata that that fits with my memory of it um right we suggested drasnik is saying um Try and maybe emphasizes the trying and try to emphasizes the action being tried. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that's just what uh, Lupita was suggesting. Yeah, that works for me. I think that that's I think it's that's a good working theory. Um, right, exactly, because it, it creates the parallel, right? You should do two actions. You should both try and forget instead of try to forget. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think that's that's the working theory. Um, in which case that would seem to fit here, right? He's, uh, he's emphasizing the trying. You should try and forget your troubles, right? Um, he's, I don't think implying that he believes it very, um, um, I don't think he believes it very probable that Frodo is going to succeed in forgetting his troubles. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so again, his emphasis is on not just Frodo's feelings, but on Frodo's action of will. I do not know if I can do anything to help you with the trying or the forgetting. But I will whisper this in your ears. Um, this should, in fact, help, right? Um, now, notice how kind of self-deprecating Gandalf is being from, I do not know if I can do anything to help you, right? He's, he is um, promising low, right? Um, I don't know if I can do anything to help you. I will whisper this. So there's like a, a kind of a tentative element to it. Um, Someone said that intelligence would be needed in the party. He was right. I think I shall come with you. And I love the flop between the humble beginning, I do not know if I can do anything to help you, to, uh, yes, intelligence will be needed in the party. I think I shall come, right? Um, but again, that's very... Um, um, that's very... hobbitry, right? Um very, very bantering. Um, um, yeah, Bjornasoner says, I may not be able to help your feelings, but boy, do I know how to run a quest. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. There are lots of ways in which this is calculated uh, to help Frodo, right? Um, to help him, not only perhaps in the forgetting, um, but in the uh, trying as well. Right. Um, one, you're not going to be alone. Right. You're not going to be alone. Um, and yes, JJ, I agree that Gandalf has a very hobbitry based relationship with Pippin. His bantering with Pippin is very strong. And I think it's important for us to remember this later on in his future re interactions with Pippin. Um, but um, I. Anyway, so reasons why this is not only calculated. So I, I think like my 
My answer to the question, why is he telling him this right now, I think is based on what he has just said. He is trying to help Frodo to forget his troubles. He is trying to assist Frodo in the important work of resisting the temptation to hopelessness and despair, because if he begins his quest that way, it's going to go very badly, right? Um, so, um, how is this helpful? Well, um, again, remember Sam's fear, right? The fear that led him to forget himself, jump up and interrupt the council from where he was sitting in the corner, which is a huge deal for Sam, right? Not a natural thing for Sam to do, though it's something we see him do on a couple of occasions, right? In the Lord of the Rings, step up and uh, interrupt a a serious um, and very solemn assembly. Um, But um, anyway, yeah, so I so remember what I was suggesting anyway, I think is the reason that Sam did that was his fear that Elrond was going to take this whole, it may be attempted by the weak as well as the strong, um, uh, too seriously, right? This whole small hands thing can go too far, right? You're not, surely you're not going to send him off alone, are you? Um, you're not going to really take it to that level. And, this is so little reassurance on that that point, right? You're not going to be, not only are you not going to be alone, I am going to be with you. So, you know, Gandalf, and that is so comforting on so many levels, isn't it? It's not just practically comforting, like, hey, you're a pretty handy fellow to have around, right? Um, but, you know, Gandalf's, Gandalf's not only this, you know, powerful wizard figure and very experienced traveler and organizer of quests, um, but he's also... Uh, he's also something of a sort of paternal figure, almost, right? Not quite paternal. I don't want to make it, like, too squishy and psychological, but um, there is something of personal comfort in this. Gandalf is a friend and one of Frodo's oldest friends and one of Bilbo, who is Frodo's sort of father, you know, adopted father figure, um, Bilbo's oldest friends as well, right? So, I mean, it is a, um, he is a very homey kind of figure, right? I mean, it's like Frodo's been exiled from the Shire, right? He can't, he can't go back ever as far as he knows, right? Um, And the idea that he's going to have not only Sam with him, but Gandalf himself is going to come along with him. It's like a piece of home, Almost right in a sense, um, yeah. Lupita, I agree. And Lady Licata was saying the same thing. Uh, he, he's almost like a godfather, right? Yes, uh, uh, he's he's sort of that kind of figure. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, yeah. Turambar is remembering that in Lorien, Frodo is going to miss Gandalf's voice and his quick temper more than his wisdom. Yes, that is his personality, right? He's going to miss him like a friend more than he's going to miss him as a guide, more than he's going to miss him as a protector uh, or anything like that. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, So there's something just very personally comforting in Gandalf's company there. I mean, it's like the second best thing to having Bilbo along himself, right? Um, But of course, there's also more to it. 
in that um, uh, there's also more to it in that he the parallel right remember that how sensitive Frodo was to the parallel between his departure and Bilbo's departure right I mean and there was that remember that fascinating moment at the end of chapter two when with his voice with his words he is saying this is not like Bilbo's adventure right he went to get a treasure there and back again I go to lose a treasure and not to come back right um, so he's suggesting the anti-parallels between his quest and Bilbo's quest. And yet remember the feeling that rose up within him at that time um, kind of belied his words, right? Um, he almost felt like he could have run out down the path. You know, this desire to follow Bilbo came over him. Um, and remember also that he decided to leave in the fall in part, which Bilbo was just you know, teasing him for recently. Um, uh, he, uh, one of the reasons he chose the fall to set out is that he always feels more like following Bilbo uh, in the fall. Um, so he's been aware of this kind of parallel and he's seen his quest in that light, even though he knows, you know, in many ways, of course, it's very different. Um, but having Gandalf come along knowing that Gandalf was going to be there too, just like he was for Bilbo. Not only because, of course, Gandalf proved himself to be pretty handy in a pinch at several points uh, on, his, you know, both with, with the trolls and with the goblins and with Bjorn. And then later on in the Battle of Five Armies, um, he was handy to have around. Right. But it's, again, not just that. Even the way in which... Um, even the way in which it just makes, again, helps him to feel that he is, this is not a hopeless quest. This is part of the family tradition. You know, this is him doing his quest like Bilbo did his quest, and Gandalf was there with them both. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting, Turambar's remembering Thorin's uh, Thorin's phrase um, when Thorin said uh, uh, in his note right in which all of us accept no it's not in his note it was in his speech the one that makes Bilbo freak out all of us except of course our worthy friend and wizard Gandalf may never return um, uh, and is wondering if this means maybe if Gandalf is along he at least will get back alive so maybe it's not as suicidal as you think possibly possibly um, now, you're right, rereading Tolkien uh, on uh, Twitter there, that uh, Gandalf did have a habit of disappearing uh, in the Lonely Mountain quest. I mean, he did leave them in the midst, which presumably he won't be doing here. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, I think that it's, it's got to be encouraging, right? Um, remember a similar touch when they found the trolls. Right. And how much Frodo in that moment. And remember where Frodo was at that time. Right. He was wounded. Um, the 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 Morgul wound was beginning to affect him more and more. Um, he was sliding into, you know, darkness and in the midst of the wraithification process. It was a bad time for Frodo. And yet he was cheered. His heart was lifted at the recollection of Bilbo's first successful adventure, right? And the knowledge that he's following 
uh, in Bilbo's footsteps. And you notice also, though I don't think we talked about it at the time, the way that those two things overlay each other, right? That is, Frodo's troubles with the ringwraiths and Bilbo's troubles with the trolls. Both of them, Bilbo and Frodo, have a nearly fatal encounter in the Lone Lands, right, with a group of foes, um, uh, which uh, goes pretty badly and from which they're only uh, saved very narrowly, right? Um, Bilbo with his trolls and uh, Frodo uh, with the, with the ringwraiths, very different in tone, right? And what a wonderful little um, window into the the difference between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings as stories. Those two incidents are, isn't it? I mean, what a lot that illustrates about the difference between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah. So just the... I, but again, the, the larger point that I'm trying to make there is simply the parallel with The Hobbit is something that's going to be very present uh, in Frodo's mind. So that Gandalf is going to, is going to be there, Right. Um, not to mention the fact that it p- sets on its head all of the anxieties that they've been having now for weeks and weeks prior to this, right? Waiting for Gandalf to come. He's supposed to come with them to Rivendell. He's not here. What happened to Gandalf? What's going on? All of those uncertainties and fears and anxieties for Gandalf to be able to tell him right up front, yeah, and uh, I'm totally coming, right? Or maybe, right? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, so right, I think that's. Um, I think that that's. I think that Gandalf is playing on all of those things, really. Um, now, the tentativeness, right? Um, Okay, three things more I want to talk about here. First, let's talk about Frodo's response. We see Frodo's reaction is delight. Frodo is delighted. So great was Frodo's delight at this announcement that Gandalf left the windowsill where he had been sitting and took off his hat and bowed. Right? Um, He bows to acknowledge Frodo's delight politely, right? But also, I think, slightly self-deprecatingly. Again, I think he's having fun at his own expense there. Um, yeah, Bard, you're right. Um, uh, Bard says, I love that, uh, that he does that. And uh, when earlier he said to Bilbo, you need not bow. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, um, uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, uh Bilbo's impulse to bow when Gandalf called him a hero, right? Um, And honestly, I suspect a similar kind of tone in the bows, right? Um, I don't see either one of those things. That is either Bilbo's bow from his chair, right? Uh, uh, I presume in his chair. I presume Bilbo didn't actually stand up to bow uh, when that happened. It was just kind of a, you know, like a bow in his chair. Um, Or Gandalf's here. I do think that it's, I wouldn't call it comic, Lady Lakata, because he's not, he's not making fun of Frodo, right? But I also don't think it's completely serious. I don't think either one of them, I don't think either Bilbo or Gandalf are bowing perfectly seriously, you know? Um, 
as a, 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 a truly formal gesture of acknowledgement. Um, I, yeah, Rye, Rye feels right. Rye feels right, Bard. I agree. Um, when Bilbo bows, when Gandalf calls him a hero and Bilbo bows about that, um, he is acknowledging the compliment, but I, get, I think in a f- sort of self-deprecatory way. Right. Like, oh, well, oh, oh, good. Yes. Hero. Naturally. Thank you. Well, you know, thank you for for that. Um, There's something, you know, it's not like, oh, well, you are welcome. Right. He's not just seriously uh, accepting the compliment without any kind of implied comment, I don't think. Right. Um, Nor is he laughing, I think, while he does it. But um, he seems to be both times. It's not exactly the same. I think that Bilbo is um, if Bilbo does nothing, right, when Gandalf calls him a hero, then he just seems to be kind of passing it off, right? Yeah, right. Hero. Naturally. That's me, right? It's what everyone's supposed to call me. So, yeah. Why should I acknowledge that in any kind of unusual way, right? I mean, it would be it would be arrogant and a little bit weird for him not to do anything, right? Um, if he laughs, then it undermines what he can tell, I think, that Gandalf is being serious, right? And so he takes this sort of middle ground, right? He acknowledges the compliment, like, ah, oh, you've just paid me a compliment, right? A pretty lavish compliment. Uh, and so I'm, 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 I'm going to sort of, uh, you know, wryly, uh, uh, wryly bow uh, to acknowledge that, right? In a way which, you know, when, um, I'm sure you guys have all been in this situation before, right? When somebody says something about you and you're not sure if they're joking or not, right? And so, like, if you take it, if you respond as if you took it really seriously and they weren't really serious, it'd be super embarrassing, right? Or, uh, but like, you're not sure maybe they are serious. So if you just laugh at it as if they're not serious, then that also would be inappropriate. So you try to find like a kind of a middle ground way to take it, which could be acceptable either way. Like if you're just teasing me, then you will interpret my reaction as like, I'm in the know and I'm playing along with your game. But if you're serious, you can take my action as like, you know, part of the serious thing, right? I mean, like, that's, um, you know the kind of situation that I'm describing, right? When you're just not sure, like, when you're not sure if someone's being sarcastic about something or not, right? Um, And I think that seems to me the kind of situation Bilbo is in when Gandalf calls him a hero. He's not sure if Gandalf is bantering because Gandalf is often bantering, right? Um, So his bow, I think, is very effective in being sort of the middle of the ground. And I think that Gandalf is in a similar kind of situation here right now, but it's not the same because Frodo's not teasing him. Frodo is genuinely delighted, right? Um, so it's not, it's not exactly that same situation, but I do feel similarly about his bow. Gandalf here, um, 
stands up, like that we get more about this, right? We don't even hear directly, we don't even get a narrator's description of Bilbo bowing. It's only Gandalf's own dialogue, right? You need not bow, he says, right? It's only by Gandalf's own words that we learn that Bilbo has bowed, right? Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it's possible that he is leaving, that Gandalf does feel himself to be in a similar kind of position, that, um, like, is this a deliberately comical overreaction, right? There's a, like a, I don't think there's a big chance that that's the case, but there seems to me like a non-zero chance that that would be the case here. Um, and so therefore he's doing that same kind of middle ground semi-comic response. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, Navalori, I do agree that, um, Gandalf thinks very highly of himself. Um, I mean, I think about some of the things that he says. Never, I think, without self-consciousness, right? But, I, you know, um, but remember when he was talking to Frodo, when uh, Frodo says that he just, like, you know, can't believe that such great lords like Elrond and Gorfindel and Aragorn would take so much trouble over me, Right. Um, and remember Gandalf's response. There are many reasons why they should. I am one good reason, right? So it's not, he's not habitually humble, uh, you know, in that way. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, Matt, you're right. Um, we should pay attention not just to the uh, bowing, but to the removal of the hat. Um, I agree that that's important. It is a signaling of an acknowledgement of equals. Yes. Yes. Um, um, yeah, Christmas, that is interesting. Also, uh, Christmas is recalling the, uh, the dwarves bowing with their at your service, right? Again, especially since perhaps the parallel here should kind of have us in mind uh, of, the, of the Hobbit in the first place. So maybe we are remembering the dwarves bobbing in front of in front of Bjorn uh, to his impatience. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Valoria was thinking the same thing, and their hats falling off. Right, exactly. Yes, Rachel. I cannot help also but seeing picturing Gandalf's bow as an exaggerated gesture with a sweep of his hat. I agree. I think that it's it's a it's a it's a serious bow. But again, think of the. Um, Here's what I think of the impact of this. Why why is he doing it? Right? One is maintaining the tone of hobbitry that he has been in all the way through. Right? He's not going to let things get super serious here. Um despite the fact that they were just talking about the ring wraiths. Um and so he sort of uh by bowing extravagantly uh like that, he is kind of overdoing the moment deliberately and again in a kind of a self-deprecatory kind of bantering way right i do suspect he's genuinely pleased kurtzimus i i am not i don't think he's faking anything here um but um uh but in addition think of the other impact of it the other impact of it is it um it draws attention to himself like visual attention to himself, and therefore away from Frodo. What 
If he really wants to help Frodo to try and forget his troubles, he wants to keep Frodo from thinking about himself, his danger, his quest, right? Um, and so by making his own announcement into this sort of grandiose thing and uh, uh, and his acknowledgement uh, of Frodo's delight into this, uh, I tend to think, rather over-the-top uh, gesture. Um, yeah, exactly. And it, it, um, it definitely aids the distraction, right? Now, everyone, including Frodo, is thinking about Gandalf, right? Uh, and, uh, and his, you know, his sort of gesture of humility here. But it is also, but again, I'm not trying to say the whole thing is just a joke. I think he's seriously pleased. I think that he is seriously acknowledging the compliment inherent in Frodo's delight, right? I mean, there's, he's serious about all those things, but he's joking at the same time. That's what hobbitry is all about, right? Um, and, and in the end, at least for a moment, he has in fact succeeded at what he didn't think he could help Frodo with, which was to try and forget his troubles. Um, and Admiral Malcontent, that I think is exactly a great way of saying it. Um, he can't make Frodo forget the quest, but maybe he can make Frodo think about it a bit more like Bilbo's quest that did have a happy ending. Let's recontextualize things, right? Don't think of this as this desperate, possibly hopeless quest, which, and first of all, like, I don't even know... We talked at the time when we were discussing Elrond's proclamations there at the end of the council. In a sense, this is all about faith, right? It's all about, are we reading providence correctly? Is this what is supposed to happen? Are we, are we doing it right here? You know, are we, uh, are we, are we perceiving the path that we're supposed to be walking? Elrond's whole argument, of course, is not that it's more hopeless to send Frodo off by himself, but it's less. Right? If they do this, if they step forward in this way, if they do, if they follow, you know, the flow of providence here, they have a better chance of succeeding. Again, it's it's not that Frodo is has more reason to despair because he's not going to send along, you know, an army with him. He should, if his faith, if his Estelle is strong enough, he should be able to be more confident that things are going to turn out well, broadly speaking. Maybe not for him, but well, in general, right? Um, and yet, um, that's still that question of, like, how Frodo is going to think about it, how he's going to contextualize it. So, uh, you know, Admiral Malcontent, I'm coming back to your your comment about him kind of reframing this, right? Think about this like, um, think about this like Bilbo's quest. Because remember, of course, that was the moral at the end of the Hobbit story, too, right? That Bilbo was only a little fellow in the wide world, after all, right? Um, all of his adventures and escapes had not been arranged for his sole benefit. His luck, he was not actually the luck wearer, right? It wasn't one of his attributes. Um, uh, that isn't the point. That isn't the moral of the story. So yeah, there are lots of ways in which we can see these things kind of mapping through together uh, in this way. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Ian McLear says there's a there's an air of of equality here too. Frodo has grown up a bit. He's been in combat and taken a serious wound. He's not a a silly hobbit any longer. No, it, I agree. The trip to Rivendell was. I mean, he was already a grown up. I mean, he was fifty years old. Um, but um, but I do think that there is certainly a sense. Remember how much Frodo himself perceives that he has changed. Remember his exchange with himself in the mirror, right? And how his eyes have changed, how much he has seen since the last time he looked out of a mirror at, they looked out of a mirror at him, remember? Um, yes, lots has changed, right? Um, he has really, really grown up. And so I agree, there is a sense in which Frodo and Gandalf are sort of more on a par here than they were before. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Green Grey Dragon says he's earned his elf friendship already to some degree. Yeah. I would also say that the whole elf friendship thing or that what gold, that thing that Goldberry perceives about him. Right. I think is not just about his encounter with the elves. Um, but I think it's it's kind of a part of this whole picture that we're talking about here, how Frodo has changed. Um, Saruman will eventually say to Frodo that he has grown Right, and I think we can already see it happening. It certainly will be true when we get to that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, Matt. Matt says, um, uh, Matt is thinking about the moment. Remember the moment in The Hobbit that the narrator really emphasizes? The moment when it says that Bilbo... Uh, fought his real battle and that all of the stupendous events that happens afterwards whereas nothing to it, right? What is the most important moment? What is the greatest achievement of Bilbo's career? And that greatest achievement was going on when he was in the dark tunnel leading to Smaug's lair, right? Um, that is Bilbo at his most heroic, according to the Hobbit narrator, right? And so Matt was suggesting that basically that's... Uh, um, Frodo is in a similar moment right here. Him, him trying and forget to... For Frodo to try and forget his troubles, um, I'm trying to get the syntax accurate, um, is, um, uh, is is a, a sort of a parallel moment, right? It might not be exactly the same moment, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's similar. He's facing the fear, Matt says, that would stop him before he can face his fear. Um, and Gandalf is sort of perceiving that and trying to help him uh, with that. And Lupita, I agree with you. Um, Frodo is also still recovering. The wound is very fresh, and it's important he not despair right now. Yeah, the wound, and his wound was chiefly a spiritual wound, right? I mean, so that, yeah, despair right now would not only be very bad for him, Lupita, but it would be very likely for him, right? I mean, you'd think someone in his position would perhaps not need too very hard a shove to be pushed down that road, right? Um, given what where he'd just been, right? And how close he had just been to the edge. Um, yeah, yeah. And Bard agreed. His initial wound is still going to be plaguing him years after the quest. And again, that is clearly not a physical, but a spiritual, um, 
you know, return of that, right? It's, 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 it's not about the wound, right? It's not about the physical wound. Um, and so, yes, there's, um, there's much to be managed with Frodo. It's always, you know, Frodo needs to be strong. You know, he has a, a deed to do, um, but it's almost all inward, right? I mean, he's gotta, he's gotta get there physically, right? Um, but there's nothing he has to do exactly. And in the end, of course, we will see, spoilers, um, Frodo won't actually do anything at all, right? As far as his quest is concerned. But anyway, more on that a little bit later. Um, now, what about Gandalf's words? I only said, I think I shall come. Do not count on anything yet. In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider. Which reminds me, I want to see Elrond. I must be off. Why does Gandalf consider his going along on the quest doubtful? And don't worry, we're going to talk about Strider's definite article. That's the last thing we're going to talk about. Um, but not yet. Why does he consider it doubtful. I can think of two reasons off the top of my head, right? First, um, that he suspects Elrond is going to want him to do something else instead. And two, that Elrond is going to think that he... uh, um, that Elrond is going to think that that he's not right for this, right? For whatever reason. And there could be a number of reasons why Gandalf would not be right for this. Um, Is it true that they, like, do they, would that be not sandbagging effectively enough, right? Is it Gandalf's hands are too big, right? Is this the problem? Um, exactly. He may want to be sure that's the way the music should play. Exactly. That, that, that kind of thing. Um, um, yeah, Turambar, I wonder, is Elrond going to suggest the strap a fake hobbit to Gandalf's saddle and take off in a different direction gambit? Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Gandalf did that in one of the earlier drafts. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, it's uh, it's possible. Now, uh, Corey Schwab, I agree with you. I don't think he would have mentioned it if he didn't think it very likely. I agree. I don't think he's just spitballing here, right? I, I think that he... Uh, notice he says, I only said, I think I shall come. And that's an interesting sentence because on the one hand, um, it does... The most obvious meaning of that sentence is it's not 100% certain, Right. But at the same time, he's reiterating, it is my opinion. I think I shall come. That's what I think. What I think is that I shall come on this trip. Um, what he's acknowledging is that it's not just up to him. And that he doesn't know for sure that Elrond is necessarily going to agree with that. Um, now, Admiral Malcontent, this to me is one of the most interesting things. And that is... Um, is it Jan- Gandalf's job as the Grey to escort the ring bearer? Is this outside his job description? I think it might have been, but I think it's not now. Maybe this is one of the reasons, one of the causes of doubt 
Um, it's a gray area. I agree, Ian. Yeah, I agree. Um, here's um, uh, exactly, Lady Lakata. Saruman isn't going to do it, and that's just it, right? Gandalf is not yet the White, right? He has not yet officially taken over Saruman's job. But I wonder. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why he's tentative here. Because would his signing on to this quest essentially be doing that? Remember, if we're correct in what we were speculating about before, the job description of the white, right, of the white wizard, is to be the leader of the cause against Sauron. And so therefore, for him to be personally overseeing the attempt to destroy the enemy's ring, um, that would certainly be meddling in the affairs of the White Wizard. Now, they know the White Wizard has abdicated his role, right? That role is vacant right now. There is nobody performing that job. And so it's easy to say he's, um, you know, uh, he, somebody's got to do it, and Kurtzimus, I agree, he's the best suited for it, right? Um, no question. But is there... Does he feel like he needs to confirm this with other members of the council before he does this? Or maybe there's... Um, um, yes, let another take his place, Bjarna Sonar, exactly. But maybe this is Gandalf saying, I'm not going to assume that that should necessarily be me. Right. Again, he thinks it is. That's what he thinks. Um, I think that he can see that writing on the wall or on the ring pretty well. Right. He is the one who was on the spot. Um, heck, he didn't put himself into Saruman's role uh, in uncovering the ring of power. That also kind of in theory should have been Saruman's job. And Saruman, I think, was right or understandable, you know, to uh, to say that he's, uh, um, you know, gallop- galloping about the lands, involving himself in every business, whether it belongs to him or not. It's not something that really belonged to him. And yet, he was chosen for it, right? He didn't, he didn't... Here he was minding his own business, meddling in the affairs of Erebor, right? When... Uh, uh, this whole ring business came up, right? Um, and yeah, Lady Lakata, I do suspect that there's mo- there's modesty involved there, that he doesn't just assume that he's the one to take Saruman's place. Um, yes, yes. And yes, there is also the other... So if we think beyond the whole job description thing with the white and the gray, um, there is a a chance that he would endanger the party. That's possible. That's possible because he is, as Forth Dauntlet was was saying, picking up on what a couple other people had also been talking about as well. Um, Gandalf is rather conspicuous on the other sh- on the other side, um, and could potentially endanger the quest. Um, as hard for him to keep a low profile, because I do not doubt that the Nazgul can see him pretty clearly, right? Um, he probably doesn't look the same as Gorfindel does, but I think that they can see him too. Kurtzimus, I agree. Gandalf might be too shiny, indeed. Um, so it is possible. And as one of you, I forget um, which of you was talking about this before. 
Um, but um, as as one of, as one of you was saying, um, I uh, um, but now I've forgotten. Oh yeah, he's going to talk about it too when he creates the fire in the past. Right. And says that he's written Gandalf was here in letters everyone can read. Right. You know, in that passage, he's aware of the fact that him being present and him, you know, doing his thing um, has put everybody at risk. Ashnas, that was you. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's that's um, that's also a possibility. And, and maybe Elrond will come down on that side. Maybe Elrond will say, yeah, no, like uh, this. uh um you know, your hands are too big argument is not just me being cute, right? This is a, this is, this is a real tactical consideration here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree that the ring, it's his ring, um, Gandalf's ring, um, would be unlikely to attract too much attention. Um, Seems to be a pretty low key uh, ring of power, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Turmar is asking if trudging through the wilds for a few weeks uh, is if that's a part of the White Wizard's job. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's hard to say because we don't get a White Wizard doing his job until the last minute, right? And at that point, it's pretty clear what the White Wizard's job should be. Um, and at, at that point, Gandalf perceives that the ring has passed out of his influence, right? At that point, he knows it is no longer his job to go along with Frodo. Um, but I don't think that that necessarily proves that had Saruman come, as Galdor was obviously assuming he would, right? had Saruman come to the council in good faith and had he had not fallen, right? If we had had a good, respectable, unfallen white wizard present at this council, what would he have done? What would he have said, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nancy asks if Galdor is right about anything. Um, I'm sure he is. Sure, we shouldn't be too. We shouldn't be too harsh with Galdor. Galdor, tempting as it is. Um, yeah, yeah. No, JJ, I agree. I do think Saruman settling in one place was already a symptom of his failure. Um, showing that his mind wasn't in the right place. In other words, he probably should have been trudging around the world a bit more, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, and yeah, Cecilia, great question. I don't think Gandalf is necessarily suggesting that Elrond has, like, the veto right. You know, like, he's... Um, just absolutely submitting to Elrond and all things here. I mean, notice that he is suggesting essentially um, equally responding to or uh, submitting to Elrond and to Strider, 
right? In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider. Um, uh, so, again, I don't think that that... Nece- the fact that he's suggesting both of those suggests to me he's not merely saying, but Elrond's the boss and I'll do whatever he says. Um, but um, but clearly, like he wants to see Elrond right now, right? Um, he wants to go consult with Elrond. So obviously, I mean, big shock. Gandalf really respects Elrond's opinion. And if Elrond tells him that he, Elrond, thinks it's a bad idea for Gandalf to go, Gandalf is not going to ignore him, right? Um, is That's what I hear there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Jeff thinks that that's a reference to the two of them as being in charge of scouting. Possibly. Though Elrond isn't, like, doing the scouting himself. I'm sure the scouts are reporting back to him. Um... But um, I would actually see that as a compartmentalization, actually, rather than saying they're both involved in that. I would say that Strider is probably the one who is the, like, number one consultant when it comes to the scouting department. Uh, and Elrond is the uh, is the one who is... So, like, we've got, like... A, so Strider's going to have a lot to say based on his tactical familiarity with the, air, with the area around here, right? Um, and everything that the scouts have for him, him taking what he knows about the movements of the enemy, what he knows about this region, and bringing that together with what the scouts are just reporting, Aragorn is going to be able to be the one who is going to be able to make the best judgments about where they should go and what they should do in the area roundabout. Elrond, he's just... Uh, He's just, um, you know, the wisest lore master in Middle-earth, that's all. Um, yeah, big picture for Elrond and ground level for Strider. That's uh, um, that's more or less what I was aiming at. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. All right. But y'all can't resist, so let's move on to talking about the definite article. And your friend, the Strider... Why does Gandalf, and as far as I can see, only Gandalf, I don't think there is a single other example of anybody calling him the Strider in the entire trilogy, right? Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys can find any other phrases, you want to do a quick search, I'd be interested to hear, but I don't think it does, that phrase, the Strider. I know we get the Dunedain, but the Strider. Um, So... Um, why does he do this? So there are a couple reasons, potential reasons I can think of, right? One... Okay, right. Yeah, JJ says, of course, there's the one. uh, How do we know that you are the strider that Gandalf speaks about? (laughs) <laughs> uh, out of context com- context comparing that with this that's super funny JJ actually uh, Gandalf does speak about the Strider after all um, yeah that's that's awesome that's awesome but now obviously no that's not uh, using the definite article in the same sense at all um, um, but it is kind of funny okay right so Option number one, Gandalf makes a mistake. Like, he just, he's not that familiar with this name, 
and he just misuses it, right? Um, that would be one thing. Another is that he's joking, right? So one is it's it's an actual mistake. Like he's um, uh, it, it, he doesn't know that Aragorn is called that in Bree, and he just screws it up. Um, the second is that he's engaging deliberately in hobbitry. He's making a joke at Aragorn's expense. The third is that he is deliberately turning this Breland, you know, scurrilous nickname into something else on purpose. Um, Yes, Lady Lakata, that is excellent reading. Um, I think Lady Lakata is arguing that the use of your friend, the phrase your friend, right before that, suggests he's joking, that he's doing it on purpose, um, that it's not a simple mistake. Um, had he just said something like, uh, in this matter, Elrond will have much to say, not to mention the strider. Right. It could sound like somebody trying to be cool and failing, right? Trying to use the nickname and not getting it right. But I don't think so. I don't think so. I agree with you, Lady Wakata. It sounds um it sounds like a deliberate joke on his part. Um The parallel with the Dunedain, which, remember, Bilbo emphasized so strongly, right? Why do you call him Dunedain, says Frodo, screwing up the name, just like I was speculating Gandalf is not doing here, right? Um, and remember Bilbo saying, well, Strider is one I haven't heard yet anyway, right? Um, so, again, the idea that it's an unknown nickname that Gandalf is screwing up is not impossible, right? Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, the emphasis on the definite article, that is the fact that Bilbo had to correct him. Hmm, Anna says, doesn't Gandalf mention the nickname in his letter to Frodo? Yes. Yes, he does. So we know it's not unknown to him. Yes, yes, we know it's not unknown to him. Okay. All the more reason to think he's not screwing it up accidentally. So I think we can dismiss A pretty roundly. That leaves B and C. Um, hobbitry, that is just sort of play here. In which case, I would say, who is the butt of the joke? Strider or Frodo? Your friend suggests that it's a joke at um, Frodo's expense or like at the Hobbit's expense generally, right? You're um, <laughs> right, he's the trotter. Exactly, Ashnaz. <laughs> exactly. Um, it sounds like he's doing a kind of parody of... The Dunedain. So if he's teasing Frodo, what is he teasing Frodo about? And I think that what he's teasing him 
about is not knowing who Aragorn was, right? Um, the fact that he, with a tone of, you know, well, you know, only a ranger? But my dear, right? Uh, that's just what the rangers are, right? I mean, his, his his whole tone in that, like, are you serious? Like, you've been traveling with Aragorn for weeks and you had no idea that he's kind of a big deal? Like, you didn't know that at all? You, you know. Um, the title that Frodo then learns as a deliberate replacement of Strider, right? I mean, that's, the names are kind of exchanged. That is, there's the confusion about uh, Bilbo referring to his friend, the Dunedon, and, and, and uh, Frodo has no idea who this is, only to find out that it's Strider, and he calls him Strider and, uh, and comments that he seems to have a lot of names, and Bilbo's like, well, Strider's the one I haven't heard yet. Um, and so like, in that moment, his name, Strider, is sort of replaced by the Dunedon, right? Um, as a follow-up for that conversation with Gandalf you know, when Frodo was just waking up, right? When Frodo first learned that Aragorn is, in fact, one of the descendants of the kings, right? So that is the moment for Frodo. It's like a magic trick almost, right? When his friend Strider appears, but it, or rather the Dunedon, uh, you know, Bilbo is talking about his friend the Dunedon and his friend the Dunedon, who is so important that you have to use the definite article. He's not just a man of the West. He is the man of the West, right? Um, so you have to call him the Dunedon, and Bilbo insists on that. And then it turns out it's Strider, right? And so Gandalf is here um, teasing him for his ignorance about Strider, right? Um, your friend Strider, right? Um, and in order to tease him, in order to make it clear that he's teasing him, he uses the inappropriate definite article. The definite article, which is not only appropriate, but mandatory when you're using his real title, the Dunedon, right? But comically inappropriate when you're using his Breland scathing nickname, Strider, right? Uh, so calling him the Strider uh, is a funny way of juxtaposing Aragorn's two sides. Right. His rascalish, um, you know, Breland persona and his, you know, unique and significant Dunedorian, Dunedorian, what on earth? Numenorian and Dunedon combined. That's fun. Um, I I just invented a really bad word. Um, Anyway, um, yeah, Dunedorian. (laughs) It sounds like it should be like a. Um, hey, maybe we should put that forward as the title of one of the spin-off series that Amazon will do from their Lord of the Rings show, right? They could do, when they do their um, Adventures of Young Aragorn series, it can be called The Dunadorian, right? It's perfect. Perfect. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think that could, what could be better? What could be better? Um... But uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings Dune crossover. Yeah, I'm not sure. I really don't think that that works. 
Um, <laughs> Pilandor says, off to change my Twitch name to the Dunadorian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Provide. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Anyway, as I said, um, it's so I it's I think it's really fun. It's a fun way for him to refer to Aragorn and kind of draw attention to both sides. It's a great way to tease Frodo. Um, you know, you didn't realize who Strider was, but now at least you can't just call him Strider anymore. You should at least now you now that you know who he is, you should call him the Strider, right? Um, so I think it's a wonderful piece of teasing, and I do. Um, I do think um, that uh, as we look forward, several of you are pointing this out before, of course, we know that um, Strider is going to take the name Telkontar um, as the name of his house. And as he is the founder of that house, of course, he very well could be called the Telkontar, right? Um, and so it is, it's a joke, but it's also a kind of a piece of foreshadowing here, right? Um, uh, which is fun, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. King Strider, that's it. Um, so yes, I think that that's, that's a sentence that needs to be said with a twinkle in the eye. He's absolutely teasing. Frodo personally here, I think. Frodo personally. Um, yeah. Um, and yes, you're right. The current head of a royal family is often referred to actually a, a, a current head of any family. Um, I mean, Bilbo was the Baggins until he left, right? Um, Pippin will one day be the Took. Um, so you can, you can, you can do it that way as well. Um, so yes, given that it's going to be a family name, um, he, he certainly will be the strider when he is king. No question. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, okay. <laughs> Was Arathorn the strider in his day? Uh, no, because he hadn't invented the family name yet. It's only when the family name gets invented. Um, unless, uh, yeah, I can't imagine that they passed down that persona in Bree. I mean, Aragorn himself is already old enough that, uh, you know, <laughs> he's at risk. He's probably got to change his persona in Breeland every 20 years or so. Or else, you know, the old gaffers of Breeland will be like, yeah, you know, that untrustworthy rascal... How, that untrust, that untrustworthy rascal who hasn't aged in thirty-five years, right? Like, I could be, uh, um, that could be uh, a little bit sketchy, perhaps. Um, yeah, yes, the untrustworthy but and uncomfortably immortal rascal, yeah, would be uh, would be strange. So you're right, uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus, I, I and uh, Tarlonio. I think you're. Completely onto something. Obviously, before he was the Strider in Bree, he was clearly the Trotter. It was probably his previous. Uh, um, I, I think it's a little bit of uh, it's a little bit extreme of Aragorn to disguise himself as a Hobbit with wooden shoes, 
But, you know, sometimes you have to go deep undercover uh, in that life. And there it is. There it is. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm just laughing at the person who's already changed their Twitch handle to the Dunadorian. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, all right. Um, okay. Cool. Well, I was going to peek ahead to the second uh, slide here, but I think I think we I think we're good. <laughs> I think we're good. Like now is not the time uh, to begin a second slide. Um, so tune in next time when we continue trying to manage Frodo's mood um, with uh, uh, with Bilbo, uh, Bilbo and others. So yeah, we this was um, this was definitely a uh, definitely a two week slide. No questions. I think we all saw that coming. Um, okay, so thanks everybody for joining me for a discussion tonight. We're gonna do our we're gonna do our field trip now, um, and uh, and uh, we'll see you guys now again. No class for two more weeks. It's gonna be the thirtieth of August when I'll be back live. Thirty um, first, sorry, thirty first of August, whichever one is the Tuesday, uh, right there in that week. Um, so yeah, the next two weeks I will be on the road. So. I'll see you guys again in three weeks. For those of you who are not staying with us, for those of you who are, we're going to head back to uh, uh, our dwarf ruins and see what we can see what we can find here. Good evening, Good evening Delory. Sir. How are you? You hear me okay? Yes, I can. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I, I don't know. Like, when, whenever I read... Um, Whenever I, I read that line out to to my kids when I was reading out loud, I always did the Strider, like, you know, what is this dumb G.I. Joe name you're using instead of your, like, regal heritage name? Yeah, well, you know, he would understand the need for, like, being undercover. That's true. Um, I mean, Gandalf has many names, too, but you wonder if right. he actually likes any of them. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna. I think we're just gonna rendezvous right back at the dwarf ruins, right, uh, with the stable master mm-hmm. again. Yeah, we can take the stable master up there. Okay, all right. Let's just head to the stable master then. Because we do know that Strider does like that name the best out of all of his names. He likes Strider the best. And yeah, it's I like, mean, you wonder his... if there's some face palming at that. The whole, oh, come on, <laughs> with a weird hippie name. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, which I've often thought, you know, is that, um, um, you know, he talked about, um, he talks about that the name is insulting, you know, um, that it's a, oh, wait, I'm, I'm blanking. What's the adjective he uses? Townsmen give us blank names in the, from the council when he was talking to Boromir. Um, what's, what's, what's the word? What's the word that he uses? Scornful. Is it scornful? I think yeah, it's scornful. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, scornful names. scornful names. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, he kind of likes it. He always says, brags about being rascally, doesn't he? Agreed. Well, the, you know, the thing is, I've always thought that... I guess I've never really understood what's so very scornful about Strider. Like it, maybe it's just because I've been reading The Lord of the Rings since I was a kid, and so... Like stride, I mean, the, but it seems to have the same effect with the hobbits, right? Like they, 
use the name affectionately throughout the entire rest of the books, right? Yeah. Um, and so I always, as, you know, a... Um, what can I do for you? Yeah, as a reader, especially as a young reader, um, had, uh, um, you know, great affection for the name Strider. And so it there was always, like, cognitive dissonance involved, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess to me, I kind of got like, it because think of it yeah, as they, a mocking name because it didn't feel like I a mean, mocking they, name. Longshanks felt more like a mocking name, yeah. like Longshanks almost like you know, like you, you'd walk up to the tall guy and say, "What's how's the weather up there?" That sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's um. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Exactly. Longshanks is like beanpole or something like that, right? To to, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's fewer scornful nicknames for tall people than for short people. Um, Shortness is more often mocked than tallness, right? Depends um, on the gender, honestly, but yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, no one but, wanted to be the tall girl. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. That's very true. Um, stick it not strider is scornful, no question, but it's the stick it not that's scornful. Always seemed, anyway, scornful to me rather than the strider part. Um, wow. Like, what did they ask him to do that he didn't do? Like, did he not paint the fence or something? I. Oh, so that's a hanging bat with a quest ring? I can't tell. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, it is a bat. I'm like, why is the tree got a ring or is there a dwarf that clipped through the rock here or something? Yeah, that's what it kind of looked like. But okay. All right. Yeah, that's cool. It's a hanging bat. Okay, I'll dig um, it. Yeah. I want to help a bat. Bats are our friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. Bard is saying, when I was younger, I always got confused at stick it not and thought it was like he didn't stick to things. Um, like, uh, you know, he's uh, not adhesive. Um, yes. Stick to not. I mean, it seems like a good thing, right? Like it's, uh, um, yeah. No, stick it not is a, is a, is a, it's a very insulting nickname, of course, yeah. but... Um, um, Calling him a flake. Yeah, but... But Strider by itself. Like, Strider by itself just never felt very scornful, very insulting. Um, now, no. I mean, if it, if, if it were something that were truly uncomfortably insulting, then, like, obviously, the Hobbits would probably not be happy using it throughout the whole rest of the book, right? So the fact yeah. that it's... Eh, like it's it's not short for a hole or anything like that. Right, exactly. It's not simple. It's not just crude. It's not like insulting his person or maybe it does. I mean, somebody was saying who was saying this that um, uh, it could be um, it could be that they're suggesting that he's sort of feckless, useless, right? He doesn't work. He doesn't have a job. He just walks yeah. around, right? He's just he's just he's just a wanderer who's good for nothing and presumably will stick it not, right? Um yeah. who knows what he does to keep himself? He doesn't have an honest trade or an honest job. He just walks around um at a great yeah, rate on those long shanks of him. It didn't go so well. Wait, what'd you say? You get the feeling he did some odd jobs for a meal or something that like didn't go well or didn't go <laughs> the way people thought it would. Maybe, 
Yeah, like I you're mean, supposed so, to get my pig back. I didn't ask for you know rounding up a bang a band of thieves, you weirdo. Where's my pig? Maybe he, maybe he, maybe his reputation for being a traveler is itself sketchy from a Bruin kind of stay-at-home Bruin. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, they know. got a suburb. So they probably don't do traveling. Yeah, yeah, exactly, JJ. That's the line I was thinking about um, when Butterbur says he goes about at a great pace on his long shanks that we don't tell nobody what cause he has to hurry. Um, so, like, he's doing something, right? He's not just a, you know, he doesn't just loaf around, right? Yeah. That would be suspicious or, or, you know, we'd be scornful about that in a different way. Like, it's not yeah, laziness yeah. They, they ascribe to him. It's like mysteriousness, Right. He's, he's up to something. Training. He's up to right. He's up to yeah. something, but nobody knows what it is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And so he, that's probably what and, he and he, not do. What are you running away from? Right, and he doesn't have a proper, a proper uh, trade, right? And he doesn't, he doesn't uh -huh. do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all, it's all coming together now. But once again, yeah, you can see why, like that would be like Gandalf's. Like, why do you like that name? Right, right. But That's, of course, you can also see how it it works, right? Because of course, he is the Strider. Right? I mean, yeah. nobody. He is the greatest traveler of the age. We are told, like nobody strides like Aragorn strides. You know, he's yeah. Uh, he is, and of course, it is his role as the Strider. You know, as to be their you know their guide and and helper on their trip. That is a, a big part of yeah. you know how he helps and contributes along the way. So yeah. Um, yeah, but this, yeah. It, that it, that also makes me wonder why it ties into the Gandalf thing. Oh, let's we should probably go inside and look at stuff. We like probably I, I should. Yeah. For an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm digressing. I'll, I'll just my my parting shot will be. I think that if it is derivative, that might be why he's wondering if Aragorn will let him come along because they might clash styles a bit. <laughs> Maybe. That's that. I'll leave it at that. Maybe. Whoa. This oh. is schmancier than I was expecting. Anak Kurfu. Wow, yeah, it didn't look like this on the outside, did it? Oh, and then we've got Mr. Two Hammers, the dwarf here up in the front. Both sides. Love that forge. That forge is so cool. Okay, they're explicitly long beards. Doesn't mean that they're uh, the yeah. ones who built it, though. Maybe they did. Mm. I guess we'd have to assume they did. Maybe. Okay. Like I said, the styles are very similar to Moria's styles. I'm a big I fan. I haven't seen Aramor for a while. I'm a big fan of beard-related architecture. Yeah, it's kind of cool. The, uh, I mean... Very little is, I think, quite as cool as like the waterfall beards in uh, um, in Moria. Love the waterfall beards. They're playing some kind of game over here. Oh, it's a board game? Yeah. He just threw a bunch of these stones on there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're dice? Dice, yeah. Yeah, they look like little rune stones. Shall we trade dice? Oh, great. And no, it's going to be loaded. Don't take his dice. 
Oh, this is heated stuff here. The fourth hammerers. What's that? Abkaz Gatich. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Let's see. Oh, what symbols are those? They all look like the same symbols. He rolled a lot of them whenever he rolled. That's more like it. And apparently he did well. Okay. It I take like this result and add upon my foundation. So it's a building sim. Okay. Dice running building sim. Yes, we should all be aware of confidence. That's right. Oh, no, I have nothing to fear. Yeah, yeah, that's going to go Leak on the Fitmar. Yes. I want to know what happens. This is interesting. <laughs> Last we've never had such. We've never had this much insight into a culture before. Yeah, and just like not even part of a quest, just happening organically in the landscape. Hold the last hammers. Okay, let's see it. Okay. It's going to be and the make or break. Looks like a pretty good one. If the last one was good, that one is good too, right? What, they tie? What's a rare Belly one? full of beer, that's a rare one. Uh, that was a rare bad one? Is that like snake eyes? Again, my but it looked like the yeah, same apparently role. that was bad. I guess that was bad. Antihi. Ara Antihi. By Ben Galich. Uh, they, they, they don't want us listening out on too much, I think. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Intriguing. So, like, either the way the tablets fall or what, uh, maybe what side they land on dictates. Maybe it's the pattern more than what was showing. Huh. Like, if it's in the shape of a hammer or if it's in the shape of a circle? Yeah, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, of course, he's going to do it. Yep. As long as you have yeah. coins, I will take them from you. This is, yeah, that's like gaming with my brothers. Look at the look, it's the three mountain icon there in the middle of the table. Oh, yeah. It's the Moria icon. Yeah, it is Moria. It is not. No? Is it Erebor? No. no, this is Gundabad is the three peaks. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I gotcha. I gotcha. Mm. They like mountain motifs to tell you where they are. I guess it's like each mountainside has its own logo. Well, except they're identical. I mean, I'm thinking, of course, of Gimli's line where he talks about the three peaks of Moria and how they have, like, you know, uh, you know, lingered on them in their dreams and they have, you know, worked the worked the shape of those mountains into, like, many different things all over the place. Um, hmm. How on earth are you supposed to keep the separate three peaks separate? like telling dwarf women apart you have to be a dwarf to know this uh, yeah i'm gonna say there's just context we don't have yeah maybe to the dwarves one set of three mountains is obviously totally different from the other three mountains yeah <laughs> maybe hmm 
playing a building game in a forge now, Lest. That's about as dwarvy as you get. So, do we think man-made or artificial lava? I would... I don't know. This is a freestanding building. I don't know if you could invent, like, a water pump that would work on lava. Yeah, I mean, it's on the top of the hill, too. Yeah. Who knows? It is down a in Moria. I could believe some kind of natural flow, but I, you know, even even in the blue, even in the blue hills, I could. Yeah. Um. Okay. What's going nice on? Nice little carpets. These are just provisioners. And got a bowyer, leather goods. Pretty low light over here. Yeah. But I guess not if you're a dwarf. Yeah, I'm sure they see just fine in this. Yeah. Oh, is that a... It's a... Looks like a wooden mountain lion. Or or no, it's a... it's a Is it a bull? What is it? This little wooden carving dealie here. Oh, oh, oh. On, on top of the crates. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going lion. The tail looks lionish. It's a cougar. Feet look cat like. Hmm. Puma toy, panther toy. Okay. Puma toy. So. Pan. This. Honestly, was not expecting people here. I mean, I'm not saying I'm surprised to see dwarves. I'm saying I thought it was a ruin. Hmm. <laughs> Just simply because of the construction and stuff on the outside? Well, you know, because it's like kind of ruinous on the outside. It's kind of. I, I guess. I guess. If we've learned anything from dwarves, it's always, it's never what it looks like on the outside. Right. Prince Ingle. There's always more underneath or inside. Awesome hat. That is a spectacular yeah. hat. Yeah. And the mustaches. Shaven chin, but the mustaches. Wow. Uh, screams pit fighter. I don't know if that's a thing here. He will be soon. Yes. Improvised weapons. No. <laughs> oh, okay, we got the feasting tables here. Let's see. It's a oh. toiki. Woods toes. Okay. Or some other big fowl. All right. So this is like a supply depot stuff. I'm trying to... Th what I'm trying to figure out... This can't be a modern construction, though. We could see from the outside that this building was ancient and partially the foundation broken in one place. Um, it really does indicate they take more care of the insides than the outsides. Yes. I can't, and I can't imagine that this building was necessarily constructed for the purpose for which it's being used. 
by which I primarily mean gaming table. Uh, the forge is the only part of it which I think is obviously what it was originally for. I doubt that repurposing oh, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wait, there's an upstairs, JJ. Ah. Where's the stairs? Did I miss? If we go, yeah. oh yeah, because oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a ramp. Just the wings up here. Yeah. Man, and that blue stone is just gorgeous. I don't remember mm -hmm. seeing anything like that. Put lapis lazuli up there. Yeah, the texture of that. Definitely looks really like lapis nice. lazuli. That's what they used for the bluest, bluest paints in medieval paintings. Lapis lazuli? Yeah. It was incredibly rare and expensive. What? Whoa. I don't Whoa. think it's a disco. It looks a little bit like a disco. It, it's big enough to be a disco, but I don't think it is. What is going on here? Who's that? Glowin's here. Hey. Whoa. Oh, they're all in uniform. Yeah, Glowin is here as commander. I've never seen this uniform. Hang on a second. I want to go... Uh, just glance over here. This is the stable over here, I guess. This was clearly uh -huh. not designed for goats. It's like random haystacks in the middle of the hallway, half-blocking doors. Yeah, and the, the wood constructs, are you can see, are added on. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So this certainly supports my theory that this is just being repurposed and if there's an army up here it helps to make sense of things that they're so gathering like here this like could have been a feasting hall or something oh yeah oh nope there's there's tables and chairs over here yeah this might have been like an inner i was a disco might have been right they had your feasting tables on one side you had your, your big sideboard. ballroom like they're dancing there's a bunch of the dwarf shuffle going on over here. <laughs> and we got clapping. We got dancing happening. Who's that dude? Durin? Whoa. Whoa, is there a new Durin? Where did Durin come from? I don't know. Thorns. Third. Oh. King under the mountain. This is Prince Durin. Huh. You gotta be pretty special to get that name again. It's what he's here to do is to earn his name. What's up with that map icon? Uh, this is for the new, um... This is for the new quest symbols where you're mostly, um, you're sort of preparing for the war. It's, uh, yeah, missions. Missions. Those are missions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The further I've adventures of the little kind of this was. Huh. Crazy. Oh, this is a map table. Like, literally a map table. Yep. So if you stand where I am, you'll be looking at the same in-game map. Right. 
Good relief on that, but then again, it is dwarf craft. Oh, yeah, it's a three dimensional map. Nice. This Very cool. construction behind us is pretty amazing. I wonder what it signifies. So it's supposed to be yeah, the relief was, of the building. I was trying to figure it out from a distance, and then I got closer, hoping that it would make more sense, and it doesn't. I think it makes it's, less it sense has, now that I'm close to it. There's no stairs. It's it's not like you can ascend it with stairs or anything, so it's not like a stage. Just looks like it's a set piece. Like this is supposed to represent some sort of great city or great hall. It's looks like you're going to do an opera or something. Like someone's going to stand up here and yeah, start singing. Yeah, doesn't it look like a scale model of something? Yeah. It's a scale model of Glindabad with the three peaks behind it. Oh. Right, the blue peaks. Mm hmm. Oh, yep. Three thing. Yep. I mean, they do put a lot of effort into their architecture, so I can definitely see architecture as art. They built a scale model of Gundabat? Who did? When did that happen? Recently? After they've been here? Is this what a dwarf army does while they're waiting for deployment? Just build architectural reconstructions of where they're headed? I mean, I, I've done some pretty crazy stuff in quarantine. Working on a knit replica or is it of the ancient? Dwarf hmm? Or is it ancient? Uh, I mean, there's some there's some weathering on here. Like you can see green in between the stones here, but overall, it's pretty it's pretty pristine. It's shiny. No, it's... you're right. You're right. We do get some green growth in there. Some crack stone but, in the bottom. Yeah, I don't think this is fresh. I mean, it's it's good quality. You know, it's in pretty good shape. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. See the crack through that uh, that block up at the top into the center pane there. Yeah, it's old. Oh. It's old. So refurbished, we're thinking. Or. Oh, whoa. What on earth is the point of this? So, it looks, okay. I think it's dead. If we assume, if we assume that, uh, if, we, if we assume, no, if we conclude that this scale model of Gundabad is part of the original construction, which was what, some very long period of time ago? Mm -hmm. Like a thousand years-ish, at least? Sure. Then, yes, JJ, what did they do it all for? Like, what does that tell us about this place? So, hang on. I'm going to go back to the map here. Where are we? We're in Rovanian. And, um... Wait, what's it called again? Where are we? Elder Slate. That's where it is. Mm -hmm. Elder Slate. Okay. This is on Al Kufu. 
does make it sound like this is some sort of dwarven expansion of the kingdom that failed. Right. Okay, so this then, and by this, I don't just mean this hall that we're in, but this whole set of dwarf ruins on the clifftop that we've been looking at, right, mm-hmm. collectively, is designed to be what, something like the gatehouse of Gundabad? I mean... I guess. I, and, and then we got all those bridges leading up here for the same architecture and styles. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to answer the simple question, why do you build a scale, who builds a scale model of Gundabad? Like, why would you do that? One answer, of course, is you would do that for the same reason that Turgon built Gondolin, right? Because you miss it. Like, you're far away and you're never going to get back. Like, the way that they're pining after Moria in Erebor, for instance, right? That would be a reason to do it. But it's yeah. right there. Like, there's no way, right? I mean, this this is like. It looks you can't like a get homesick. Like, I, like, how can uh, I miss you, you know, if you won't go away, right? Like, you can't be homesick for Gundabad right here on the doorstep of Gundabad. It's a very boastful look on them. It's like, look at this awesome thing we built. Hey, look at it again because we made it inside. Isn't it awesome? We're so right. awesome. It's definitely a look at our great works. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, JJ suggests maybe it's the visitor center. Um, you know, that, uh, <laughs> this is the, this is the you know, for tourists uh, on the way through. Oh, so the little gold, uh, little gold arches are like, you know, and then this is the. Yeah. But I mean, no, this Arch- does seem, I mean, obviously anyone. Okay, so two things about this location. One, anybody approaching from the south overland is going to come this way. So mm-hmm. it is a kind of gatehouse to Gundabad this way, because you're going right through all this stuff on the way up through the road. Um, the second thing it, that I can't help but remember is how very prominent this is from such a long distance up on the cl- clifftop when you're down further down. Right? I mm-hmm. mean... We talked about boastful, and we were asking, why are the dwarves building all of these towers and colonnades and, and things above ground? Um, especially when there was little evidence that they, they lived there. There didn't seem to be yeah. much of a point. But maybe the point was to be seen from below. Yeah, all of this just smacks of, of showing off. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, they want Gundabad to be like, we built Gundabad and it was awesome. But the problem is you can't see it from here. Right. Like that cliff blocks it. So let's build, um, you know, our outbuildings here. Right. A nice eye grabbing skyline so that people will be like, hey, whoa, there's a big, huge, very impressive uh, city up on the cliff. And then you get up here and they're like, yeah. This is just the visitor center for the real Gundabad, which is, um, um, you know, why you uh, and and then like uh, and just in case you don't believe us, here's a scale replica that we've constructed right here. 
I so wonder if we're going to see more awesome instances of, of looking at this. It's almost like the Disney castle motif. You know how they stick that on everything they can. Right. Right. Exactly. I Just mean, to the, remind you who we are and where we are and how awesome. Yeah. The way that they're doing the three peaks. And of course, the whole the whole blueness, right? The lapis lazuli thing. I mean, it's very striking. Um, I mean, you can't look away from that when you're looking at the, from the blue peaks, right? Um, it's electric blue. Yeah, it's a logo that um, uh, it's a logo that really jumps out at you here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you turn around, you can see the really cool. Uh, the they got almost like the the lighting up there. It's really neat. What the you lighting fixtures the that hang down? No, the big pearlescent white void at the top. Huh. Is that designed to filter in light from outside? I think so. I think it's like a really thin piece of stone right. or like alabaster like, or something like that. And right. um, something that the light or like the moonlight can shine through and look really awesome. And it diffuses so, it a bit. Right, so it wouldn't let in all that much light, but it would it would itself glow, right? So that you would so it would look cool without actually letting in massive quantities of sunlight, which presumably the dwarves wouldn't be over fond of. Yeah. Or just don't need anyway. Okay. Hey, so um chronologically, since I have no idea where well no we're I mean, we're we're after the fall of Moria right so like when we go up to the to the dwarf mm-hmm. the dwarf stuff up in the north it's chronologically yep. so Dan is dead right yes by this time I believe yes I believe so yes okay Thorin okay. the third is king under mountain mm-hmm. okay okay. So that explains oh, what, what bridge motif. You hmm? see those bridge arches? Yeah, I was just noticing that. Except they're except they line up. They line up. They didn't let the Joker loose in here. Snorri the prankster is nowhere to be seen here. Maybe that's why he was sent outside. Intriguing. Wow. Also, I love these buttresses that almost look like flower buds. Or, yes. are they, I don't, or actually, like I'm bulbs not connected. of some kind, yeah. like a, you know, some kind of flowering bulb. Yeah. Or like a closed flower. Mm-hmm. Very um, surprisingly organic for dwarf architecture. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's almost like the Hall of Trees a bit. Then you go up here, and it's all it's all geometric patterns again. Right. <laughs> See the stone tulips of Anach Kurfu. Says JJ. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, there are all kinds of tourist attractions through here. Yeah. And it certainly worked on me. I mean, the the whole, you know, building on the cliffside to get your attention and bring you up here. Yeah, it got our attention. Sure did. Very imposing from a distance. What's with the claws up there? Doesn't it look like something is grabbing that upper window? Oh, maybe it's just holding it in place like tines. Maybe. We don't see that on the other side, but... 
Hasbard um, says, come for the architecture, stay for the dice games. Yeah. Behold and be amazed at the loosest slots in town. <laughs> this is really fancy. The whole yeah. place is really fancy. Yeah, you can kind of see where I thought disco the minute we came in. Because this yeah. looks like a place where you entertain. You, you make showy things to show off to people when they're in a good mood. This is not a, you know, welcome to your doom room. Okay, I have another unless theory. Have, unless you have social anxiety and bad at dancing, you know. I have another theory. Uh, another theory, I think. I'm thinking... It's not just the it's not the gatehouse to Gundabad. It's the public place. Like they don't actually want visitors to come to Gundabad because that's their place, right? Mm -hmm. So when they're meeting people, like say representatives of the Eothiod or something like that, right back in the mm -hmm. day, they'd come and meet them here in their fancy oh, hall. Reception hall, yeah. It's a reception hall. Exactly. Um, with the, and so you build a scale model of Gundabad in the front to be like, you've basically come to Gundabad. You've come as close as we really want you, but like having, being here in front of our nifty scale model of Gundabad, it's like you've come to Gundabad. So like, you know, and we're welcoming you to Gundabad from a distance, you know, um, it's a, it's a little like nationalist that. looking. It's a little creepy. <laughs> it, well, you know, it's very enthusiastic. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, sure. It's very enthusiastic. Got the red crystals up here where we have the blue crystals downstairs. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, that is something. All right, well, it's getting late, but wow, there was a lot to see in here. I'm glad we finally yeah. took the plunge and stepped in. Um, can we get into any of the other buildings around here? Around Anak Kurfu, or is it just this one? This is enough, don't get me wrong, but... I, I don't know. Okay, we'll have to look and see if we can see in some of the other ones, and, and uh, again, see if we can get a clearer picture of the whole function of uh, of this little suburb of Gundabad, um, hey, as it's obvious it. that it was uh, designed as part of that. Okay, so we'll do that, and then we'll get um, we'll get a little closer. And hang on, I'm going back to my Elder Slade map here, yep. looking ahead here. So we'll 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 finish looking around Anak Corfu next time, and then we will head up. Um, I guess we'll head up here towards Gundabad. Well, or do we, so. Here's a question: Do mm -hmm. we want to head up to the Wormsgroth? first or do we want to do that last maybe we should do that next and then we come back towards Gundabad proper not quite sure mm. but, but anyway we'll look at Anak Korfu next time and then we'll make up our minds alright yeah. thank you everybody for joining us tonight this was a wow what a remarkable revelation this was here this evening um, and um, thanks everybody for joining me I will see you guys in three weeks uh, from this evening um, and uh, be well in my absence and I'll see you in a few weeks thanks everybody bye now